This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And now it's time for the Bet Rivers Online Sportsbook pregame show with Score Morning Show co-host Mully from the Mully and Haw Show, Bears long snapping Iron Man Patrick Manley, and Score Football expert and former NFL player Anthony Heron on Sports Radio 670 The Score, Chicago's home for Bears fans. Always live on the free Odyssey app. Brought to you by Bet Rivers Online Sportsbook, official sportsbook of the Chicago Bears. Bears. Download the Bet Rivers online sportsbook app today. Oh, yes, indeed. Game three moving right along. Uh, we are uh, delighted to, uh, to be presented by Bet Rivers, the official sportsbook of the Chicago Bears. Make sure you download that Bet Rivers app. I have it on my phone and I just checked, and the Bears are minus three, and the total is down to 39 points. This is the rarest of all Bears games, gentlemen. This is one in which they're favored to win. We don't know when they'll be favored again, but they're back home. <laughs> they're 1-0 at Soldier Field, and we're going to get you ready for the big game. Good morning, guys. How you doing? I'm good. I'm all caffeined up and ready to go. And the best thing about this game, guys, I guess we'll talk a little bit about them, it's that we don't have to talk about the Packers anymore. <laughs> Let's move ah. on to the Texans. I was sick right. of last week talking about the Packers and all their great stats. Let's hopefully – uh, let's just hope the Bears can come out here today and, and pull out a win in the bottom third bowl is what I call it. They're bat- battling for the one of the, be the best teams of the bottom third of the NFL. We're on to Houston. Yes. That is the, the moniker for Patrick Manley today. We're on to Houston. And I dig that, Amen. man. I feel where you're at, man. No doubt about that. But coming off of that, that game last week, it, it does strike me as a – you know, with with all the youth and inexperience on this roster, guys, a lot of times you try to get a sense for, you know, like even in Green Bay, they did have their breathless reaction last week about losing the first game, not looking like the offense and Aaron Rodgers is supposed to look. And so, you know, because there's so few data points in an NFL season, there's going to be this kind of over analysis. And that's part of what makes it special. 
because there's a week in between each game and there's so few of them by comparison to other sports leagues. So now in Chicago, we have our breathless reaction to week two versus week one, the development of Justin Fields. And what to me intrigues me as much as anything about this week is now where the entire squad has that bad taste in their mouth coming off the Sunday night football performance where maybe the run game is the only phase of this offense they can feel like they took a, a legitimate step forward from the first game to the second game, and then you, you still have the goal line question about game, uh, about you know fourth and goal, yeah. and whether yeah. or not the run game truly came through. So how does everyone respond to that on this young and inexperienced roster? That's a big question you have to be able to answer consistently to extend your life in the NFL. So now with all these young players on the Bears, how do they respond coming off of last week? Well, we have to get to that goal line play. We won't do it right now, but we'll do it this morning because let's be honest about it. I don't think that was a running play. I, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know if you're on the inch line what the point of going into the shotgun formation is, but it was the discussion all week, and there was defense of it all week, which was kind of weird. We'll get into that. Um, you know, you mentioned all the young players and finding your place in the NFL. The the simple fact is that Justin Fields has 28 attempts in two games. Now, there was the monsoon game. We're going to give him a pass on that one. We had talked about that. Nonetheless, the fact that he is the 33rd quarterback in the 32-team league with pass attempts, (laughs) yeah, makes no sense. But uh, Dak Prescott and uh, Cooper uh, Rush have both thrown over 28 passes, I think, Prescott, who barely got through the first, didn't get through the first game, he's thrown 29 attempts. So it makes no sense that that the Bears quarterback trails not just the entire NFL, but also a backup. Now that'll end presumably today. But I think that we've got to have that conversation about whether they trust him or not, whether they trust their, their, their blocking, whether they trust the offensive line to pass protect and these are the kind of issues that were a big subject of conversation this week. Again, they started with a really good defense and a really bad weather situation, and that Green Bay defense will probably be in the top five before the year is over. So I understand what their mission was and how they put their game plans together, but you got to ask the question, do you feel, regardless of whether they say they do, that they trust Justin Fields – to be in time and on time and on schedule as an NFL passer. Guys, I, I'm, I'm concerned after watching last week's game, and I broke it down on a couple of the shows this week about Justin Fields, that he's just not letting it rip. He won't pull the trigger. And it concerns me because I thought the preseason, he looked like he progressed. He looked like he played better. He looked like he was reading the defenses a little bit better. And yes, it's the preseason, they're vanilla defenses, and maybe that's why. But there were a lot of plays last week against Green Bay that guys were wide open, guys were schemed open, guys were NFL open, and he's not pulling the trigger. So I'm concerned a little bit. And, and if, Anthony, you made great points in your, your opening remarks about these young kids getting better week to week. And we talked about that, I think, week one. That's how we're going to kind of evaluate this, this team as these young guys each week can they get better. But right now I'm concerned about Justin Fields. I just have not seen enough. I have not seen enough progression from him and last week like I said is very concerning that there were NFL open NFL wide open and he's not making the throw so I'm a little nervous and I hope today they give him the opportunity to throw the ball more I would rather see his stat line with two touchdowns and two interceptions right now 
just trying to go out there and, and, and wing it and, and, and try to read these defenses and give himself a chance. I'd rather see that than see you know no touchdowns, no interceptions. I understand maybe they're coaching him hard to not turn the ball over, but I want to see him have an opportunity to throw the ball more. It is a, I find it to be an interesting place that the Bears have put themselves in as a franchise because it, it's, it's obvious, you know, p- perhaps at times painfully obvious, this is a developmental roster. This isn't a roster that they've tried to set up to win now, but you do have a coaching staff in place. Now, it's different. Last season, you know, with, with Matt Nagy and, and Ryan Pace and, and everything that had been together for an extended period of time, you had a rookie quarterback with a roster that was set up with all the investment that had been there financially to win last season. So they had to try and win games. That was why they weren't eager to start Justin Fields right off the bat because a lot of the brass had to win that year to to maintain their job status. That's not the case this year with a new regime in, and they've set up a, a basically a rebuild kind of roster, a developmental roster, but – they're still acting like they're, they're trying to truly win all these games. And it's a really delicate balance in the NFL because so many of us have concerns coming into the season about the amount of weaponry that's available to Justin Fields on this offense, the receiver position, the tight end position, who are your true playmakers? Because in the end, it's about who can put the ball in the end zone in football as an offense in general, but also who are your individual talents? Like all those yards David Montgomery turned out are great. How many touchdowns did he score? That, that's what really puts fear in the heart of opposing defenses. Are you a guy who can put the ball in the end zone at the blink of an eye? Darnell Mooney hasn't shown that in what's been an impressive young career. David Montgomery hasn't shown that in what's been an impressive young career. They can get touches. They can get yards. They are not like big-time touchdown scorers. Those are the dudes who separate themselves from the pack, who separate the good offenses from the great offenses. And so since Justin Fields – doesn't have any of those proven commodities around him, then it does seem like through a couple of games here. They're trying to still set him up for for control, for safety. So, you know, if he and the offense at large doesn't just sort of give games away to the opponent. They're coaching the games to win with what's available to them while at the same time. Does it end up not necessarily kind of ramping up the the development? Of their second-year quarterback, there's definitely a case to be made for that. But in 17 regular season games, I do believe we'll see plenty of outings where Justin Fields is going to throw it a lot more. Like today, I do anticipate against this Houston defense at home and not in a monsoon, we're going to see Justin Fields throw the ball with a lot more volume today than we have through the first couple of games. I mean, I think it's uh, FanDuel that put up a line of 25 25 and a, and a half, 25.5 pass attempts is the over-under for Justin Fields' pass attempts in this game. I take the over. Yep. I take yeah, the over because of the matchup. Good. I think it's at least a push and, and likely the over because of the but matchup. I, yeah, I, agree I think that. it's a good line. I think that's about right. I think that makes you think for a second whether it's over or under, just given what's going on. And, and you mentioned Darnell Mooney. So he had one catch last week for negative four yards. They threw a pass, he threw a pass, uh, Fields, to Cole Komet, who dropped the ball. So he had zero catches for zero yards. He, he was does, more man. productive by dropping a pass than Mooney was by catching one for minus four yards. 
<laughs> he oh. at least didn't go backwards with the football, I right? I thought we weren't going to talk <laughs> about this Packers matters. game anymore. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I just thought that was like a really funny statistic. Yeah, it's, it's, it's just bad. I mean, like Anthony, you talked about, those are your two potential playmakers this season that are, are lining up out there to, to, to make a difference for you, and they're not doing it right now. And it's just – it is concerning, and it's – you know, you want to see Cole Komet to make that easy catch. You want to see him take that next step and be that elite tight end in the NFL. That's what you drafted him for. That's what you're hoping for. And they're just not doing that right now. But, again, I am not going to judge them on that one game. I want to see the entire season. They're still young. And today's another opportunity for them to step up and hopefully shine and, and, and go out there and produce. I came on after several games last season and, and mentioned – whether it was on, you know, on Bears post game live with with Jim Miller and Luke Canellis, whether it be coming on the post post show, me and Olin were doing that last year. Where Cole Komet, and it was it would usually be much earlier in games. It'd be like a key third down on one of the first two drives of the game, and Justin Fields would go to him on third and medium. Not a lot of separation cr- created, but the ball would hit him in both hands, and it would bounce yep. off his chest. Yep, and that that's been a familiar and a consistent refrain with Cole Komet up to this point in his career, and. You know, the, the ship has likely sailed on him being, you know, one of these, you know, you tight ends and a, a guy who's going to, you know, be like routing folks up and creating a bunch of separation and long touchdown runs after catch. But you need to at least be dependable with your hands. You need to at least be dependable to move the chains. And you can still have a legitimate role carved out for you in the NFL as a quality player, even if you're not going to be this perennial pro bowler putting up millions of yards and touchdowns, but you got to catch the rock, man. And, and they're going to be contested grabs for a guy with the, with the athletic ability of Cole Komet. They're going to be contested grabs, and he has to, as a tight end in the NFL, be willing and able to make those catches. And too frequently in his young career, those are balls that are bouncing off of his hands, bouncing off of his chest, and, it, you know, it – it erodes some of the confidence that the quarterback would have in you in those moments. Now, because Justin Fields doesn't necessarily have it, I think we're going to get to a point in the season that what we saw last year begins to develop where he just kind of defaults to Darnell Mooney. It almost feels like he's been trying not to overdo that early in this year. Like on that first flea flicker that they called in the game last week, he could have tried to force the ball to Darnell Mooney. He reads the safety in that moment off the flea flicker. He quickly looks over the middle of the field. The shoulders of the safety turn towards Mooney, who was matched up with the corner. Mooney kind of slowly comes off the football, trying to make it look like for a moment he's trying to block the slot corner, and then he bursts into the second level. He takes off and bursts and does narrowly get beyond the corner, but Fields sees the safety turn his shoulders towards Mooney. He says, you know what? I'm not going to force this ball to Darnell Mooney. It's a long game, potential turnover. So he looks to the backside, to the boundary side of the field, and throws it to a wide open, Equinemius St. Brown, and right. you get a 30-yard gain out of that. So I, I do get the sense that, that even within the shots that are called for Mooney, Justin Fields is trying not to force it to him. In the end, though, if you keep getting drops from Cole Komet, if you huh. keep getting other guys who aren't declaring themselves open, we will likely see plenty of touches Plenty of volume, you know, plenty of forcing the football to Darnell Mooney in here. But I think right now, the offense as a whole, and even Justin Fields and his approach, are trying to show how, how much can we do with, with the whole scope of things as opposed to just this one dude I'm most confident in. A 30 yard gain is great. Um, a touchdown's better, obviously, and, and you think Mooney might have been able to score on that play. But. They got 70 total yards. I'm sorry, Pat, for bringing it up again. <laughs> no, right. but we, have we have to. That's 30 of the 70 total passing yards on that play, which oh, all due respect to everyone, that's a gimmick play. 
That is, that is, as you say, that's a flea flicker, a half-arsed one maybe, but nonetheless, that's a running play. He pitches the ball back, and they have to scheme a, a completion. I don't know. I don't know how they're going to. I, I, I will be really curious. It's again a step down in class with with Tampa's team, and they they are a secondary you can pick on a little bit. But I can't sit here and tell you how many yards they're going to get because. By all accounts, even in seven-on-seven drills, Justin Fields wasn't exactly accurate Mm -hmm. as they prepared for the start of the season. So I think this every week has become kind of a referendum on the quarterback and where are they and what they're doing. I just think this is a big game, big opportunity for Justin Fields to get some completions, raise his statistics to kind of an NFL normal. You don't have to go crazy to win the game, but – Shouldn't you be around 200 yards passing in every game you play if you're in the NFL? I think to the point that, that Pat made earlier, I, that the Justin Fields not kind of not letting it rip, that's, that's been – it was certainly my evaluation of him coming out of college. When he does, when he's confident in where he's throwing the football, he's still an extremely accurate passer. The, the word I use to describe him is methodical because I don't necessarily see him – looking looking confused or overwhelmed. I think it just it takes him a beat longer than you want it to to go through the read progression. And even once that information gets from his brain, you you want it to be a little bit quicker. And he worked over the offseason about quickening his actual delivery and and having that release point, what they call the L, the uh, you know, LTA, low to arrival, where you've decided you're throwing the football and how quickly as you begin your throwing motion is the ball leaving your hand. So even once he processes the information, I think it'll benefit him and he has started working on trying to just more quickly, all right, I've decided and now I'm cutting it loose. Now I'm getting the football out of my hands and that's a little methodical from Justin Fields as well. That being said, that that's not a death nail in the NFL. Russell Wilson still struggles with the same thing at this point in his Hall of Fame career. Aaron Rodgers was that guy early in his career in Green Bay as well, where Mike McCarthy would go to the media after the game and complain about Aaron Rodgers holding the football too long and taking sacks that he didn't need to take because he was this guy who came out of this Cal offense and and was accustomed to being able to run around and extend plays and do things in college that he wasn't doing in the NFL. He was studying behind Brett Favre, who damn sure didn't mind holding the football and fitting it into tight windows and thinking his arm could bail him out. And so in the initial seasons of Aaron Rodgers' career, he was that dude also who was kind of methodical in things. We, we can't anticipate everybody's going to – to develop their anticipation and their ability to throw throw guys open to the level of the guy who's in Green Bay right now. But should should we expect that'll develop, that'll improve for Justin Fields? Yes, I think that's a fair impression, a fair assumption of what's going to happen with him as he continues to get more reps. Okay, we'll be right back. We've got so much more. Fun to start with the quarterback and with the passing game since it was the conversation all week. We're going to we're going to look at uh, we're going to look at uh, the the Houston Texans. You know, there's a very familiar face coaching that team in Lovey Smith. So we'll see Lovey back in Chicago today as well. We'll get into all of it. We've got plenty for you. It's the pregame show on the score. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. What can you share with us about the Chicago environment at Soldier Field? Well, last week I talked about Denver and I said, uh, you know, eh, you know, maybe urban legend as much as anything. Mm-hmm. Um, didn't think that it would affect us that much, and it really didn't. What I've said about Chicago, if we were going up to Chicago in mid-December or January, yes, we need to be concerned. But um, right now it's one of the most beautiful places around. So we're, we know that we're going to play outside. The Windy City is kind of – that's kind of in uh, – describing something else, not necessarily playing there. So uh, it's going to be a grass football field. It's going to be a good opponent on the other side. And uh, it's football time. It's the pregame show here on The Score, and that voice is familiar. That's Lovey Smith. And he's right. Windy City is the uh, the uh, loudmouth politicians. That's not actually the wind off the lake, although there certainly is wind off the lake. But those windbags. Yeah, that's how it. Uh, <laughs> that's how it started. Uh, that's from Sports uh, Six Ten, Sports Radio Six Ten in uh, in Houston, and uh, and John McClain works there. He's also an NFL columnist for GalleriesSports.com. He's a legend at uh, in Houston. Worked for the Chronicle for forty seven years has forgotten more about football than most people, Noah. An absolute gridiron legend. John is with us now, and we thank him for joining us on the uh, on the SCORE guest line presented by Circuit Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. Hey, John, how are you? Great to catch up. Mike, I'm doing great. How are you? Oh, are you kidding? We're looking forward to football, and, and we're really looking forward to – to see in Lovey Smith back in Chicago and, and Patrick Manley pl- uh, played for him here on some great teams. We've got Anthony Heron with us. Uh, what, I mean, how, how did he get this job? It's surprising that he is the guy that the bears are facing here. It's interesting because the only time, as you guys know, Lovey has been back to soldier field as a head coach, of the Buccaneers and his quarterback, was Josh McCown, and Josh McCown was going to be hired here. The Texans act like he wasn't, that he was just a candidate, but they were set to announce Josh McCown, even though he only had high school experience. And then Brian Flores filed his lawsuit, and they were getting killed by the media and the fans here, 
nationally because McCown had no experience. You know, he may end up being a great coach, but there's no way you go from high school to the NFL. But uh, behind the scenes, their executive VP of football operations, Jack Easterby, was pushing him like crazy because they've known each other for years and they went back to the ministries and fellowship of Christian athletes. And when Easterby was the interim GM in 2020, he signed him to come here off the Eagles practice squad. So all of a sudden, somebody in that organization uh, came to their senses and said, well, let's let's take a step back here and reassess. And somebody said, well, what about Lovey? Lovey is associate head coach and defensive coordinator. had been helping with the search using his contacts at the league to check out candidates. And so they said, oh, Lovey, would you like to interview? He said, of course. So they interviewed him on a Sunday. They announced him on a Monday, introduced him on a Tuesday. And since Lovey uh, took over this job, which was – tumultuous. The organization was in turmoil with all kinds of controversy, beginning with Sean Watson. And once Lovey stepped in, he had the support of former players, current players. Things have been very steady. And now it feels like it's a and I'm wondering from the outside looking in, my impression is that this was a, a grease fire last year for a variety of reasons in Houston. And it's kind of at this this mom and pop, like family owned restaurant. You know, folks, it feels kind of shocking. Like we see it on the south side of the city in baseball here where it's like, oh, this is a family run business where they make these decisions in a really insular way that don't always make sense. So what stage of development do the Texans see themselves in? Right now, I've been using the term developmental for the Bears roster and the Bears approach at the moment. Is is Houston legitimately trying to win a lot of games this season? Or are they in kind of a developmental rebuild kind of mode? Well, I think everybody's trying to win, but I think people should be realistic. The Texans have won four division titles in five years under Bill O'Brien. And it's hard to believe in January of 2020, that's not that long ago, they beat Buffalo in a wild card game, led Kansas City 24 to nothing in the second quarter uh, in the divisional round before some bad decisions by O'Brien helped con- caused them to go down the toilet. And then they've been bad because they brought in Nick Casario from New England, gave him a six-year contract for $5 million a year to just do a massive rebuild. And it started with the Watson controversy. And so they, last year, Casario, I mean, he tore it down to the foundation and he started rebuilding. They didn't have first and second round draft choices, didn't have a first round pick the year before, uh, O'Brien was a good coach. He was a horrible general manager. Now, his trade, DeAndre Hopkins, to Arizona for a washed-up running back, David Johnson, and then a draft choice they used on a defensive tackle, Ross Blacklock, who they traded to to, uh, Minnesota for a six-round pick, was one of the worst in NFL history. And so they didn't have first- and second-round picks, and he started – he had five draft choices last year, beginning in the third round. This year, he had a lot more. Next year, he's got two ones. He's got 12 overall the year after that, two ones and 10 overall right now. And next year, their cap will be taken care of. They'll have money to spend under the cap for the first time. So people here understand where they are. They they won four games last year. They lost three. They 
could have won. They fired David Culley. They hired Lovey. They elevate Pep Hamilton to call and plays, another former Bears coach who was with Lovey there. And uh, so people understand that they're rebuilding, that they're not going anywhere. And the truth is, Davis Mills, who did really well at the end of last year, is not playing well right now, coming off one of the worst games of his career. But as well as Watson played in 2020, and he was great, their worst loss was at Soldier Field, 36-7. to So I don't think they're going to get any, beat any worse by, with Mills at quarterback as they did with Watson when they did play in December. Well, John, you brought up Davis Mills, and here in Chicago we've been talking about Justin Fields and his development, and you hit on it a little bit, but can you break him down a little bit more? Are the people in Houston, do they see a bright future, or is he just going to be a kind of a third-round guy that just is an NFL quarterback, or you know, what do they see there in Houston? When they drafted him out of Stanford, he'd only started 11 games in college, just third round, and uh, he was supposed to be the backup to Tyrod Taylor. Taylor got hurt in the second game he had to play. He was not ready. He was terrible. Then when Taylor was ready, they put him back in. Mills got to watch for a few games. Then Taylor was terrible. They put Mills in the last five games. He played really well. Last four, they won two, finished two and two. He had nine touchdowns, two interceptions, 106 uh, uh, rating, and people got fired up. Not that he was a franchise quarterback because we didn't see enough of him to know, but only that he deserved to start this season. He was mediocre against Indy in a tie, two touchdowns, no interceptions, and he was awful, and so were his receivers in their seven-point loss at Denver, which they led in the fourth quarter. They've led both games in the fourth quarter, but right now he's on, as far as the fans are concerned, most of them are ready to run him out of town. They want Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud, but he's still got a bunch more games. He's not going to get benched. Their backup is Jeff Driscoll, who they use as a gimmick quarterback on short yardage situations to basically run. And uh, But Mills, he's got to play better. And one of the problems with him at Denver is his receivers weren't getting any separation at all. And that's one reason his passes were off. Brandon Cooks, their best offensive player, dropped the touchdown pass. And uh, there was another play where Mills ran to the nine first down. Laramie Tunsil left tackle, their second-best offensive player. Ten-yard penalty, settled for a field goal. So they're kind of a mistake waiting to happen. The over-under on victories was four and a half. I picked them at six and 11 right now. I don't have a clue where they can hit that or not. <laughs> Sounds like the Bears. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. I think it's uh, it's the low-tier bowl. Uh, John, I you know, I'm just curious. We talk about Deshaun Watson during the week a lot because his name comes up and obviously he's got the the 11 game suspension, but he also has that contract whatever it was, 230 million, 45 million in uh in a signing bonus. What how is how is his is 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 the shadow of Deshaun Watson still hanging over the franchise? Is it gone? Has has everybody forgotten about it? Is it just moving forward, or or is everyone kind of waiting to see what happens with him once he is able to play again? He's still a big deal here. I mean, we talked about it every day. Every talk show I did for a year and a half was about Watson. Wow. I do ten a week regularly, and everyone I'm started with Watson, and and. Uh, his first game back will be against the Texans here. Right. And uh, one of the things I know about Watson, you know, he eliminated Cleveland right off the bat. 
And the reason was he's played one game there, and that was in 2020. It was the first week in November. The weather was terrible, not because of snow or cold, but because of wind blowing off of Lake Erie. And I'm not Lake Erie, like uh, which lake is it? The Cleveland Stadium's on my mind's gone blank. Uh, yeah, it's Lake Erie. And so he was terrible. The game was 10 to seven. The wind was so bad they had to evacuate the stadium. And fortunately, it was during a pandemic, so it was about 12,000 there. So the, he lost 10 to 7, and he didn't want to go back there. And then the Browns, okay, what can we do? So he gave him $230 million guaranteed, and which, of course, infuriated every other team in the league. Right. So Watson does not play well in bad weather. At that game in Soldier Field in 2020, he was terrible. And when he comes off, he plays here. Then every other game is outside. It's in December and January. He will not play in two seasons. So people think he's going to step up and be great. I think they got another thing coming because he's not playing indoors like he did here. He's not playing at Jacksonville and Nashville and ED division games. He's playing in a better division in bad weather and a lot of wind. So I don't expect him just to come up and step in and all of a sudden he's a great quarterback. I don't think the Browns will get the best from him till 2023 and he'll never throw, I don't think, for 4,000 yards again based on where he's playing. Not because the team's not good, but, you know, there's a reason. The Browns and the Bears try to have a great running game every year. Unfortunately for the Bears, it's the Browns that do. John McClain, our guest here on the Circuit Resort and Casino in Las Vegas Hotline, home of the world's largest sports book. Um, the the run game you referenced there, that amongst uh, a few different concerns for the Bears' defense, that's shown itself through two games. The Bears' defense hasn't been consistent against the run so far this season. See, a, a couple of talented guys that the Texans have access to are the Rex Burkhead featured more in week one, Pierce featured more, Damian Pierce in their second game. Is Houston willing and able to, to run the football pretty effectively, you think, against this Bears D? Well, first of all, um, I wrote this week, this should be the fastest game of the season because <laughs> if the play callers are smart, they will run, run, and run some more. The Texans can't stop a clock, and they haven't been able to since 2019. They were they were 31st against the run in 20. They were last against the run in 2021. If there were 33 teams, they'd probably be last this year. Right now, they're only 30th. And, of course, the Bears are last. So uh, it's hard to believe, as I say, there's two teams worse against the run than the Texans. So... What you'll see is Damian Pierce, a rookie fourth-round pick from Florida, didn't get the ball much at Florida, and the Texans drafted him in the fourth round. And we saw right away he was so much better than what else they had, which wasn't saying much. But in the first game, Pep Hamilton, who's calling plays for the first time, must have had a dream that Rex Burkhead could actually run the ball. And they gave Burkhead the ball 14 times, and then they threw him five more times. He had 19 touches, and Pierce had 12. And then Lovey Smith said the second game, let's uh, use Pierce more. And they did. Still not enough. 15 carries. And I, I think I wrote this week that if 
If Pep Hamilton doesn't get the ball to Damian Pierce at least 25 times in this game, there should be an investigation. Because right now, the kid can run. We saw flashes of it last week when he had 15 carries for 66 yards at Denver, but didn't get the ball enough. I'm assuming this game is going to be close. And uh, the running game, it's been bad here for a long time. But Pierce has got a chance to be special. John, we'll let you go. Who did you pick? I picked the Bears 20-17. to 17. A lot of people here picking the Texans because the Bears are favored here, two and a half. But I haven't seen anything. They've blown two games in the fourth quarter. And before I pick them, I want to see them beat somebody. But I went with Chicago by three. You're the best, John. Thank you a ton. We appreciate all the insight. Guys, it's my pleasure. Thank you very much. Have a great day. That is John McClain. He, uh, you hear it in his voice. He is, uh, he's a, a, a Texas gridiron legend. <laughs> yes, he is. And, uh, I love, I love the way he broke that down. That is really, really interesting. I, and guys, when we come back, I kind of want to talk about that. You know, the Bears couldn't tackle last week. We heard from uh, Matt Eberflus about tackling. Matt Eberflus is running a version of Lovey's defense. The defense Lovey learned with from Monty Kiffin down in. Uh, in uh, Tony Dungy down in uh, Tampa. And uh, Rod Marinelli, of course, Lovey's old roommate, he's the guy that taught it to Matt Eberflus in Dallas. So we got to get into a little defensive talk. And, it, you know, he's stopping the run the floor of that, of that scheme. And there, there is the shortest game, as John said, in, uh, of the season if, uh, if both teams are running at each other. We'll be, we'll be right back and we'll break that down. It is the pregame show here on The Score. We're back with more of the Bet Rivers Online Sportsbook pregame show on Sports Radio 670 The Score with Molly, Patrick Manley, and Anthony Heron. Brought to you by Bet Rivers Online Sportsbook, official sportsbook of the Chicago Bears. Download the Bet Rivers Online Sportsbook app today. Yes, indeed. We are back, and uh, we should let you know that uh, Bet Rivers obviously presents us, but we want you to also know that there's a new Zing Zang Bloody Mary canned cocktail. Premium vodka already in the can. They're always ready to go. Perfect for game day tailgates. Uh, please Zing Zang responsibly. Also perfect if you have to watch the the Bears play a lot of run defense. Uh, it was pretty ugly last week. I hate to bring it up, Pat, but uh, <laughs> there, that is an issue with this defense, and it's an issue. I'm talking about the cover two defense. Mm-hmm. It's always been an issue unless you have someone, a three technique, that can also uh, do some run stuffing, and I think they wanted Larry Ogunjobi to be that guy. They kind of had that in mind. They thought they'd get benefit of uh, of run defense. We know he's in the middle of Pittsburgh's uh, defensive line. Um but when John said that this could be uh, as short a game as there is, that's the idea of being both teams running at each other. And certainly David Montgomery had a great game last week, and the Bears showed that they can run the football, and the Texans can't stop the run. And they, do, they did run the ball pretty well with Pierce, and we know the Bears might have some issues themselves inside. Yeah, they, they, yeah, they do. They definitely do. I think it, it showed last week, and – Mully, you talked about it uh, last week pregame show that that was one of your big concerns about the running running attack by the Packers against the Bears, and it was bad. And then I went back and broke down the tape and wanted to see how many missed tackles I saw. And I went through like a kind of the coach's view and, and, a, and a hard coach view, and I had seventeen total missed tackles, oh, God. which was just terrible. I mean, they were, and they were, you know, 
Some of them were effort where they just, you know, they ran through some tackles. Some were, you know, the air tackles where you're swinging and swinging and missing. Um, and then there were three plays where they missed two tackles in one play. And that to me is just, that's unacceptable in this style of defense where you need 11 guys to the ball. They talk about rallying to the ball, but it was just, a, it was overall just ugly. Yes, they got blocked and, and they got beat up front, but the missed tackles is just killing you in this defense. And it was unfortunate to see that. And let's see if they can correct that. I don't know if it's lack of talent, uh, lack of effort, whatever it is, but this, this week it needs to be a lot better. And part of the things that, that, that happens stylistically in this defense, well, what you're being called upon, there, there's some defensive schemes where the responsibility of the defensive front is mainly just to eat up blocks, essentially just to kind of block for the second level of the defense. So the linebackers and, and whoever may roll up from the secondary, usually a, a safety, will be in a position to, to pursue the ball unencumbered, to not have some big, ugly offensive linemen sitting in their laps. This doesn't necessarily place a premium on that in the defensive front. This scheme is you're, you're basically penetrating, you're, you're playing the run on the way to the quarterback and some of the parlance that gets used with it, but you don't want a lot of what we term as Olay blocks from the defensive line. You don't want just a free path from the offensive line where they get up to the, to the, the next levels of the defense extremely quick. You still want to hit that block. You just don't need to maintain contact with that block for a long time, and we did see a couple of moments in the game last week where Angela Blackson was in the backfield in the first half, Justin Jones in the backfield a lot in the second half. So there were some plays that got made. The issue is if you penetrate in the wrong gap, if you get outgapped, if an offensive lineman works up through your shoulder and then you're being scooped and the other offensive lineman who he's scooping up to can now overtake you, you may look like you're in the backfield, but you're not in the proper gap in the backfield. And, oh, by the way, one of those offensive linemen is now busting your linebacker in the chop. So there's a very delicate balance for that on on the D-line in this scheme. Yes, it's a one-gap penetrating style. You need to be in the proper gap. You need to penetrate through the shoulder of the offensive line so there's not a free and clean release. And those linebackers at the second level do need to work downhill. They do need to be in the proper gap advancing on that opponent when they read run. And so both points of that kind of defensive run mesh, the front line and the linebacker position, and then frankly on that crack toss, they're running even the the nickel corner at times, not really in unison. Yeah, the, the idea that that's a passing play is absurd. Um, so listen, <laughs> we'll get into Roquan and his situation and, and whether he has a decision to make. Uh, we'll do that. But but just from a defensive standpoint, he didn't play very well uh, in either of the first two games. He is out of his normal position. So he's used to playing on the inside. He's playing a weak side linebacker. They're, if they have proper gap control, they're trying to, to get things to him but it seems like he's facing different types of blocking and he's having an adjustment period. Let's be polite about it. But that's what Alan Williams said during the week, that you've got to give everyone an opportunity to learn the defense and it takes a little while. Well, Roquan, and again, we'll talk about his injury situation uh, in the next segment because that's a huge story. But what are you seeing from him, Pat, when you break down that tape, is Roquan missing those tackles? Is he is he the guy that's getting blocked a lot? And is it a different situation than what he was used to? Yeah, first off, I mean, I said it on the, the Parkinson Spiegel show, and Anthony, I don't know if you agree or disagree, that he just looks heavier. He looks like he's just a little bit heavier than he's been in the past. And I don't know if that's causing him to be a little slower. 
Um, to me, he's not getting to the point of attack as quick. You know, there were times where he would run under the block and make the tackle, or he'd beat the line to, to lineman to the point of attack and make the tackle. And I just don't see that right now, and it's it's concerning. And I think he just has to play himself into football shape. You know, the lack of uh, of reps in the preseason, or no reps in the preseason, the lack of kind of practice time in the preseason as well. He just looks a tick slow, and I think that's going to take some time for him to get football, get back into football shape. And I'm, I'm sure too, being in a new position as well. But there's times when he's just out on the field. And it's, you know, see ball, get ball. And he just doesn't look like the same Roquan right now. And I think this is going to take some, some more game reps for him to get there. I think it's a good observation. He, and whether it's, it's probably some combination of not only playing slower and, and, and being slower, but I do think both things can affect just the speed with sure, which a sure. linebacker reacts. You know, if, if you're uncomfortable because it's a new position, if you're uncomfortable because it's a new scheme, if you're uncomfortable because you have youth on the outside that's not saying, alert, crack, alert, crack, and, you know, making sure that you're, you're in a position to recognize that that, that slot receiver is going to come down and try to clean your clock. If you don't recognize it yourself, part of what's happening in defense is that you need to, at all levels, be echoing the call, echoing recognition, of assignment and that doesn't seem to be happening right now in the Bears defense and so as Roquan you know whether it is you got this this guard or tackle who's up in your face really quickly and you don't see it quite on time yet and so you're reacting slowly or because you're trying to run laterally to try and beat a toss play outside and then boom you're getting busted in the chops by some wide receiver and you're looking at some young dude on the outside hey man you you, got to let me know that you got to give me some kind of alert that's happening there Communication is so huge to be able to read not only the pass plays that we think about with the secondary, but to react quickly to run blocks and run schemes. And it didn't look like that was happening a whole lot versus Green Bay last week. And then, yes, I, I agree, Patrick, that that he doesn't seem to be moving as swiftly. Yes. Has he throughout his career? Has he felt like, you know what, I came into the NFL as a really light fast linebacker and maybe I do want to bulk up a little bit in this contract year to take on blocks a little more effectively and he's never going to be just you know one of these massive hulking kind of LBs is just going to just meet some lineman in the hole standing still it's been some dudes historically who can do that who's just big massive strong enough to do it that's never going to be Roquan's game so has he maybe gained a couple you know hit the weights and just try to make sure he could he could bulk up a little bit I could certainly see that and, and it wouldn't shock me if that were the case because of the way he's moving but I do think as much as anything just his his reaction the timing of that there, there's a, there seems to be just something where he's a step behind where we normally see it I, I would imagine it's not only about the physical conditioning but just the comfort the quickness that he's reacting to the plays with too All right, when we come back, I want to ask you about Roquan's contract situation and how that would potentially affect a decision to play or not to play. That is the question, whether it is nobler in the the mind. Never never mind. A little early for that. To endure the (laughs) flings and terrors of uh, defensive line. No, um, we'll get into that. We'll talk about uh, Roquan's decision. Is it a decision? Is it legitimately a question? as to whether or not he should play in this game. We know that he didn't practice all week. The Bears list him as questionable. They claim he's going to play. They're they're a little bit undermanned to begin with because Matt Adams is out. They're short, a linebacker. Does Roquan's contract impact that? We'll answer that question when we return. It is the pregame show on the score. 
You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. 